0: That was not good. Good morning. That's better. Welcome here this morning. Uh, this is going to look a little different than normal. Um, you can you can flip to First Timothy chapter three. We're going to get there in a few minutes, but we're just going to do kind of a a mini a mini sermon. We're just going to look at three verses here in just a few minutes. But before we get there, I want to address uh, some of the challenges of this week. Read some scripture. That hopefully will remind us of who's in control, and then we're going to just spend a little bit of time in prayer corporately, and then we're going to go into the sermon. So it's 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 very unevangelical of us this morning. So it's going to look a little weird, but that's okay. Um, how many of you had a crazy week? I called Lori uh, yesterday to chat with her about that, She's our resident expert in all things medicinal. Um, And and, uh, first she says, this is ruining my life. No, that's not what she said. That's my paraphrase. Uh, Things are going crazy. And and we live in a world where it's difficult. Um, There's so much fear and uncertainty. And man, if you're on Facebook, sometimes you just want to shake your heads with what's going on. And, and yet it's a serious issue that is happening in our world, and we want to take this seriously. And, and so over the course of this week, we had to make some difficult decisions about cancelling Chili Night, uh, Food Bank being cancelled, various other things in our community uh, that, are, that are being shut down. And then we had to have a conversation at a board level about, do we have church? And so what we want to ask for is is we want to ask for your prayers. None of these decisions have been made in isolation. Not one person has decided this is what we're going to do. We've together as a board uh, had input. Um, As I said, I talked to Lori yesterday because we wanted somebody who actually understands things differently um, from a a medical standpoint. Uh, And so the decisions that we have made to get to this point I know some of you may not agree uh, with some of them and I just ask for your patience and I would ask that you would pray for us that we would have wisdom with how to deal with things moving forward. Is Every day things are changing and, and we don't know what this week is going to look like and we don't know if we're going to be able to have service next week. So we're going to keep you in the loop as best as we can. Uh, continue to pray for us throughout this week that we would make wise decisions that honor God and that are, that are, that are the right thing for our community. However, that being said is I think right now we have an opportunity as Christians through the uniqueness of the circumstances that are at play right now in our world that that we can share the hope that we have. And we can share that we don't have to be afraid. And so I want to read to you a, a few verses so that we can just be reminded of these things. In 1 John 15, 13 to 15, John writes this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Two things that I want to highlight in there. Is first is those of you who have declared Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you have nothing to fear because you know what's to come. You know that when the day comes that you breathe your last, whenever that is, is that we get to be ushered into the presence of God for eternity, and nothing could be greater. So there's nothing that the world can throw at us. There's no crisis that can happen. There's nothing that can take away that assurance that we know we can be with Christ, that we have eternal life. And in a time like this where there's so much panic and so much confusion uh, all over different parts of the world, we can stand up and we can say, yes, this is serious. Yes, there are things happening, but we know in whom we can trust. And we have hope beyond just now, but we have hope through till eternity. And the second thing is that if we ask in God's name, if we ask in the will of God that we know that he hears us. So what's... God's will? That's, that's the million-dollar question. Well, there's two things. One is, according to James, we're called on as, as a body of believers that when we're sick, we're to call on the church, and then the leadership of the church can pray for the individuals to go well, so we know that God's desire is that we would pray for those who are unwell, so we know that's in his will, so we can pray for that. So as we gather together this morning and, and as we go throughout our week, that we can pray that God would be at work in the midst of this virus, in the midst of the confusion and, and the chaos going on in the world, that we can pray for the healing of all those who have been affected by this because we know this is what God wants. The second thing, and, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago in 1 Timothy chapter 2, is that it's God's desire that all would be saved. And so as we're praying for people to be healed and for their physical bodies, we know that we can pray for their spiritual. We can pray for their spiritual lives, that they would come to faith in Christ. What's really interesting is so often in our world, it's in times of crisis where people realize just how little control they actually have, and they turn towards a God who is fully in control. And So we can know that God cares about them and God desperately wants them to be in relationship with them. So we can pray for physical healing, we can pray for spiritual healing, and we can know that God hears those prayers. And so in a few minutes, we're going to do that, and we're going to pray for those who are walking through these difficulties. Another verse that I just want to read to you, just to remind you, there's so much uncertainty happening right now. On Wednesday, actually on Thursday evening, we had a prayer meeting. Uh, just a a few of us gathered together to pray for those who are being affected by this. And somebody showed up to that prayer meeting and said that that Wednesday evening that 200 people had been laid off from the Fairmont at the Springs because of cancellations of conferences and things. So all of a sudden life is in limbo for a lot of people. There's a lot of people, and maybe you find yourself here this morning, where you're not sure how you're going to get home because airports are starting to be... Talked about clothes and country and international travel and and even within provinces, things are happening. And so there's so much uncertainty on this, but I just want to read this verse to you to remind you, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Is yes, there are difficulties in front of us. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are people that have had their lives massively interrupted and that will have needs. And, And I think as a church, It's our responsibility to figure out how we can help those needs, how we can minister to people who are in need. But we can, above all, recognize that we do not have to be anxious about any of these things because God cares for us. What a promise we have in Scripture for that. Another verse that I want to read to you. And you've heard, this, you've heard me say this over and over and over, and I think this is, is one that just needs some reflection and needs to be understood correctly, is Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Is if you have placed your faith in Christ, then everything that's happening, God will work together for your good. Now, we have to relearn what that word good means sometimes. Because if we just chose what was good, we would never go through pain or sickness or loss or grief or any of those things because we just don't like them. And yet God uses all of those things for our maturity, for our growth, so that we would fall more in love with Jesus. See, the reality is, is in moments like this, where we realize we're not in control. But the truth was last week, we had just as much control as we do now. God is in control, not us. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. and Sometimes we have to go through difficulties and pain and hurt and frustration to realize that God is the one who is in control. And the promise of this verse is as we go through these things that God is working all those things together for our good. What is our good? That we would be in a deeper relationship with Christ tomorrow, more tomorrow than we were today. And sometimes that will require going through difficulties, and going through uncertainties. And I think the greatest lesson that we can ever learn is how little control we have and how much control he does have. I remember hearing a story of a preacher once, and this little boy was uh was trying to uh collect uh he was on the beach and he was collecting these little shells and he had all these different shells in his hand, and all of a sudden he saw this starfish in the water and and he and he runs out to it and he, he sees the starfish and the dad's kind of watching from the shore and and he looks and and he says "Well, well grab the starfish get it and bring it here and so he runs in and then he runs back out and it's like he's not sure he's gonna do it or not and and the father can see the son getting more and more frustrated and and finally he yells out and he says why don't you just grab it and he says i can't my hands are filled with shells sometimes we just have to let go so that we can actually grab onto the things that really matter And so my challenge to us this morning is that, yes, this is a serious issue that's happening in our world, but we do not need to hold on to it with the sense that we are in control. No, God is in control. Let's trust in him. So what I want to do here before we enter into 1 Timothy for just a few minutes is that we would just, incorporate in a corporate time of prayer, that we would just lift up our community. So if you just want to bow with me, and we'll just spend a few minutes in prayer. God, as we as we woke up this morning, there's so much that's happened in our world in these last few days. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much confusion. And in all parts of the world, God, there appears to be fear and anger. And God, we just, we recognize in this moment just how little control we have over everything. And yet, God, we know that you are still seated on the throne. That you are in control. That in these last few days, the things that have happened have not shocked you and surprised you and all of a sudden that you are not in control. We know none of those things are true. We know that tomorrow and the next day and the week after that, that you will remain in control. So, God, for us this morning here, we pray that we would cast our anxieties on you. That we would recognize that that we're not in control of any of these things anyway. So would we trust that you have what's best for us in store. And, And while that might not look exactly like we expect or we would want, we can know that you're a good father. And that you desire that we would mature in our faith and our understanding of who you are and that we would learn to trust you more and more. So, God, would we let go of the things that we're holding on in our hands so that we can grab hold of what truly matters, and that is you. God, for those all over the world who are facing some very serious realities with this virus, we pray for them. God, we know you care for each one of them because you have created them and you love them. So, God, we pray that you would be at work in their bodies, that you would be protecting them, that you would be healing those who are, who are facing this illness. And, God, we pray also that you would use this to turn others towards you, that they would seek you and that they would find not only physical healing, but that they would find spiritual healing in the name of Jesus Christ. God, in our own community right now, with those who have lost their jobs, with those who are facing uncertainty of of travel, of going back to where they live. God, for those who are unsure how they're going to make ends meet in the coming weeks here and how they're going to be able to put food on the table for their families. God, we pray that you would be at work in their hearts and in their minds. God, we pray that you would give us those opportunities that we could reach out and that we could meet some of those needs in a practical way. God, would you give our church a passion to reach out to those who are in need right now and that we would somehow figure out ways in which we can help. God, we thank you that you have protected so many of us in this community thus far, and we just pray for your continued protection. God, as we see every morning as, as various avenues are being closed and, and different things are happening and, and we're uncertain of how long we might even be able to meet in this corporate setting, God, we pray that we would trust you. God, give us the assurance, as it says in scripture, that we would find some peace that doesn't make any sense, but that just comes from you. God, you were in just as much control today as you were last week, last year. So would we remember that? God, would you be at work in our community right now? God, we thank you for all these things. Amen. What we're going to look at this morning here is just just a few short verses, is, is as I was prepping this week, and, and as you can imagine, uh, various emails and questions are coming in about uh, the various ministries that we run and, and what's going to be happening, and, and so as I was studying through this passage, uh, I originally had intended to go from chapter 3, verses fourteen, uh, yeah, verse 14, through to 4, verse 5. But as these things were happening, I realized that I was going to shorten this because there were other things that needed to be addressed and and dealt with and and perhaps we needed to be reminded of God's goodness and God's control in these moments. And then as I read through verses 14, 15, and 16 for, I don't know, the 30th time, all of a sudden I realized just how relevant these verses are to us right now in this moment. So we're just going to look at these three verses and we're going to see what God's trying to teach us here. So verses 14 to 16 of chapter 3 says this. Paul writes to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. If you were here, if you remember back um, the very first Sunday that we started going through 1 Timothy, I took us to this uh, 14 and 15 because this is kind of the thesis statement for the whole book. This is why Paul has written this to Timothy. He says, I I hope to come to you soon. This is my plan, that I would come to you and that I would help you. Paul had heard about the false teaching and the difficulties that were going on in the church of Ephesus. And he had desired to come and to help uh, Timothy in a very practical way with dealing with these things. But Paul recognized that he's not in control. And that we often have intentions of things that don't happen. And right now in, in, in our world, we have all kinds of intentions about doing things that maybe tomorrow we'll wake up and we're not going to be able to do those. Things. And so what we can read here is, is Paul's looking at this going, this is what I want to do. I want to come to you, Timothy. I want to help you with these things. But he recognizes I'm not in control. And I might not be able to, and I might be delayed. I, I don't know. And so instead I'm going to write these things to you. I'm going to send these things to you so that you would know how often have we wanted to do something? And our schedule has prevented us from that, or or, or external circumstances have have made it impossible, and then all of a sudden that thing gets pushed down on the to-do list and, and never actually gets done. So what we learn from here is there's always a way to do those things. And so Paul, instead of, I'm sure he would have rather stood beside Timothy and said, okay, let me help you through these things. Remember, Paul's been this mentor to Timothy, and he's equipping and teaching him how to deal with these things. And, and Timothy is a relatively young uh, leader in the church here. And and clearly um, through 2 Timothy, Paul's worried that, that Timothy isn't confident that he even has the authority to speak these things. And so I'm certain that Paul would have rather desired to been there. And so he could have just said, you know what, I'll get there eventually. But he said, No, 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 this is way too important. I'm not gonna wait. And I think in some senses, Paul could have been writing these words, and he actually may have beat those words there. But he didn't think that way. Instead, he went, if I can't, I'm going to send these things to you. And so he says, Timothy, I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This is the interesting part. This is now written not only for the church in Ephesus, but this is written for us. And and in the last couple of weeks here, we've been looking at, um, in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, we've been looking at this idea of corporate worship and how Paul's desire um, of what that would look like, how we would pray and how we would interact and how the leadership of the church would be structured and, and what our goals would be in the church so that we would work together for the same mission and for the same purpose. But what's interesting is Paul talks about it in the sense of family. And I hope that if you're part of Banff Park Church that you feel that this is a tight-knit family. That we care for one another. That we serve one another. And that when there's a need, if there's a hurt, if there's grieving, if there's difficulty, that you are being supported by your brothers and sisters in Christ who will rally around you and help you and that you do not have to walk this journey alone. It's one of the biggest blessings of being part of a local church is that God has gathered us together as one family. And Paul expands on this idea in lots of other places and he centralizes on this idea of adoption that when we come to faith in Christ that we're adopted into his family and we're no longer illegitimate children but we we become heirs and actually he says become heirs with Christ. That we're part of this incredible family of God. We're no longer just individuals, but we have this group identity and this group identity can never be taken away from us no matter how our circumstances change, no matter what happens in the external. But not only that, he says this, so that you may know how to behave in the house of God, household of God, which is the church of the living God. Why the need to clarify that? Well, a reminder again, some of the bad teaching that has crept in, and and we're going to deal with this next week specifically, and and a couple of weeks after that as well. But often what we have uh, in scripture is that there were so many people that deny that there's a resurrection. And And Paul's trying to remind, no, the the whole message of the gospel is not just leading to the cross, but that the cross was this pivotal moment where our sin is now paid for by the blood of Christ. But we don't serve this God who is dead, but he rose again, and he is alive, and he's coming back one day. We serve a living God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's writing this section and he's saying that if an unbeliever enters into the gathering into the the corporate worship he says that that gathering should be so meaningful and so incredible that they can't deny what's happening and he says this in verse 25 that that person then falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Is that's our prayer. We're not just gathering here to worship God, we're gathering here because God Is here in our midst, and that God is going to do amazing things through each and every one of us. We're part of the family of God, and that family of God, that this church is God's chosen instrument to change the world. And so, in this case, in in our case, in Banff, right here, is that our role is not only to gather and to worship and to pray, those are important things, but also our role is to go into the community to be light and salt to this. Community of BAMP that need Christ. That's what we're called to do—not just to come to church on Sundays, but to be the church. And that's why we're a family. Commentator Griffin writes this. He says Paul viewed the church as God's family, not merely as a building in which people met. No, he was describe—or sorry, he was not describing behavior suitable for the church building but the type of conduct fitting for one who is a member of God's family. What's the purpose of our family? Well, there's two things that he writes to us here. He calls us a pillar and a buttress of the truth. A pillar and a buttress. Now, this word buttress we don't really use very much in our common vernacular, but you could think of it this way as a foundation. To be a pillar and a foundation. So there's these two things. So here's what John Stott writes. He says this. Here there is a double responsibility of the church. First, as its foundation, it is to hold firm so that it does not collapse under the weight of false teaching. Secondly, as its pillar, it is to hold it high so that it is not hidden from the world. To hold the truth firm is the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. To hold it high is the proclamation of the gospel. The church is called to both of these ministries. So now this is what we're called to. So we study scripture. Why? We study scripture so we can understand what is true, so that when when the false teachers come in, when people who are spreading lies, when people who are coming and twisting what God has said, we see it and we know it and it does not cause the church to crumble. But we stand firm. And so when people, and this is inevitable, this happens every single time that there's any kind of catastrophe in the world, is somebody comes out and declares on behalf of God, this is God's judgment on the world for their wickedness. And people go, what? Why would God do that? And then there's all this attack against the church. And we can stand and we can say, no, this is not. We know this from Scripture. God's desire is that all would be saved. God is a redemptive God. God is one who's using all these circumstances, not for judgment, but he's using them to bring others to himself. We can fight those wrong theologies so that the church does not crumble. We can show who Christ really and truly is by representing him well. And then secondly, as its pillar, we hold it high. We hold Christ, we hold the gospel, we hold it high so that the world would see. And in moments like this, the world needs to hear more than ever that there is a God who is on the throne who loves every single person desperately. The world needs to hear that. The world needs that to be expressed. And so as the church, our job is then not to shrink back, but to stand out with courage and boldness and to step forward and to say, how can we meet the needs that exist within our community so that they would see that God is among us? See, everything that we do is not meant to point back towards us. Everything we do is meant to point back towards him. And so people should see that in how we live. Commentator Ray Van Nest says it this way is true doctrine leads to right living. As we understand who God is, that changes how we live. Because we realize that God loves every single person that he has created. So much so that he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And so there is no room, there's no room for us to hold judgment over other people. There's no room for us to have anger and frustration so we, don't, so we do not minister to people because God loves them and God loves us and God has called us to go and to change the world for his glory. We are to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And then Paul quotes this hymn. There's a lot of speculation about this, this last verse here. So he says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he chooses to explain it with these words. And it's uncertain whether Paul wrote this hymn or whether this was an early church hymn that he was just quoting. But how we can interpret it, there's kind of three main different ways. And I'm just going to give you the way that I think is the most helpful. Um, but if you'd like to search deeper into this, by all means, you can. But I think the best way that we can do this is that there's three couplets here where there's a deliberate antithesis. So the first thing we see is the antithesis, of flesh and spirit, second, angels and nations, and third, world and glory. Really, what this is is it's a very, very mini gospel presentation that Paul's trying to get us to see. So the first couplet, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit. So first he's saying Christ came to the earth. He came as a baby. He was manifested in flesh. And then this vindicated by the Spirit is that he wasn't just sent to the earth to die on the cross, but that he was sent to rise again. But he's vindicated. So we have this death and this resurrection in just these two verses. The second couplet speaks of the witness of Christ. So first we have angels, and then that goes far beyond that, eventually being proclaimed among the nations all mankind. And remember, this is a theme that runs entirely through the New Testament to help us to see that God's desire is that all would be saved. And I know I've said that many times, but this is so important because as we go through so much of New Testament, what we see is that people expected that God would do something specific only for the people of Israel. And God says, no, it's not only for the people of Israel. This is meant right from the beginning. This is meant all the way to reach all through every group of people in every part of the entire world. That yes, Christ was proclaimed by or seen by angels, but now he's being proclaimed amongst the entire world. And then thirdly, the third couplet is the response of the good news. Believed on in the world, again, that is people from all nations have come to Christ. And then that Jesus has ascended into heaven to be with the Father. Now, I'm not sure here, and this is where commentators kind of are all over the map. This taken up to glory seems, uh, in the Greek, it seems kind of a little bit out of order, at least how you would organize it. And my belief here is that what Paul's referencing here is the second coming of Christ as well, not only the ascension. And so in Acts 1, we read about this ascension, and, and the disciples are watching this happen, and they're, they're, they're kind of in awe of what's going on. And then you have these two people that are standing there, and they look at them, and they say, well, what are you standing here looking up in the sky for? Christ is going to come again the same way that you just saw him go up. And that's when we're given then the mission to go into all the world, that we're, we're going to be given the Holy Spirit to go and to proclaim to the nations who Christ is. And so when we read this this little, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory, it's this very, very small mini gospel presentation that Paul is reminding us that here's what happened. Here's your purpose. Now go and do it. See, as the church, sometimes we lose sight of what this mission is, and this is why we have decided to use this book of First Timothy to unroll this new model that we have of discipleship. And I was able to talk with somebody just this morning who said that they met with the person they've been partnered with for discipleship, and they said all of a sudden just over two hours had gone by. And there was Prayer and discussion and and, and listening and and scripture read. And and it was just a time of blessing and encouragement. and, And this is the reality. Of course it is. We're gathering together to proclaim Christ. That's, that's what we're called to do, that we would come together and that we would mature in that. And as we mature, well, as Ray Van Ness said, correct doctrine leads to correct living. The more we understand who God is and the more we grow in our knowledge of that, the more our lives will radically change for him. So yes, corporate worship is central and so important for all of us as believers. And this is why we we read about in China and other places where the underground church, they refuse not to meet, even though it might mean their death, because they recognize that this is central to their maturity so that they would become more like Christ. But it's not just about meeting together. It's not just about praying together. It's not just about reading the word together. It's now about taking that and proclaiming that among the nations so how do we do that well there's no simple one just easy structured way but there is one really simple way go and talk about it go and talk about the difference that christ has made in your life go and talk about the hope that you have in Christ, and especially in these moments where, where there's confusion and chaos and panic in the world, and we can be a voice of reason that says, you know what, Christ is still on the throne and we can still trust him. And so this will not move us. We will not buy into fear, but we will hold firm that Christ is king. And as we live this way, I'm convinced that people will look at us and they'll say, It doesn't even make sense. How could you have that kind of hope? And we can say it's not about us. It's about him. And we can declare the good news of Jesus Christ. These whole two chapters in verses two and three start with this idea of prayer and scripture, and what we're called to do in the corporate gatherings, and then then how the leadership is meant to serve the congregation, and then now how the congregation is then sent out into the world to proclaim and declare, here's Christ. Here's what our role is. Here's how we're meant to live. And so in this coming week, as we go through, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows what's going to happen the day after that? Well, Jesus, I don't. None of us do. But Christ does, and so we can know with certainty that this hasn't surprised God, and we can live in such a way that can bring peace and hope to people. And so as you go back to work and as you interact with your coworkers, your friends, and your neighbors, is use this moment that we have right now to declare the goodness of Christ. Because that's what our purpose is. That's what we have been called to. That we would be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Let's pray. God, you have chosen your instrument as the church to change the world. And so, God, we pray that in our community, that in this town of Banff, that as we look forward to this coming week with all of its uncertainties and all of its, everything's just been turned upside down. And so would you give us renewed passion and purpose and desire to declare you as sovereign on the throne. As a God that we can trust and as a God that is using even chaos and even disease, difficulty, whatever it might be that you're using this to bring good out of it. So God, would you give us the courage and the boldness that we need to have conversation with others, to show them the hope That we have. As it says in 1 Peter, would we cast our anxieties on you? Would we show the world that while we understand the severity of everything that's happening, that what can man do to us? Christ is for us. So, God, would we put our hope and our trust completely in you this week? And would we be willing and courageous enough to share and to declare to the nations that you alone are in control and that true hope we can find in you. God, as we go from this place today, would you give us everything that we need and that we would see and do the things that you are calling of us to do. God, thank you for everyone who's come here this morning. God, we want to make a difference in this community for your kingdom. So give us the courage to do that this week. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Just a reminder that we will not uh, be having snacks after.